Disclosure, the information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, any and all information presented in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making any decision. What's up, everyone? Ben Keedy here again with another installment of the Wealth Crypto Podcast. I apologize. It has been a little while since I did one of these, but it's been a busy start to the year, a lot going on, and, you know, sometimes it happens. But I do have a couple set up for you, and I'm excited to get into them. My guest today is a guy named Frank Kushner. He is an advisor, and RA based out of Texas. He comes to me via a friend of mine. But we kind of jump into this intro a little bit in the actual show, so we'll just jump right into that. Thanks. All right. There we go. Now we're live. Um, All right. So, hello, everyone. It's been a little while. Uh, ben Keedy with Wealth Crypto Podcast again. This time, I'm on with Frank Kushner. Frank was introduced to me by a buddy, but Frank is based in Dallas and has background in financial services, so... Maybe without much further ado, I'll just pass it over to you, Frank, and we can go from there. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Good to be on. Yeah, so I uh, <laughs> uh, we uh, we we share a, a mutual friend in the crypto space, and uh, I had him on my podcast. He brought uh, he brought you up and said we should collaborate. And I think oh, this, is, uh, this is how it all happened. I didn't I didn't know he was happened. doing his media hits yet. I'll have to I'll have to go check that out. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I do a segment called Money in the Bank with Frank. And like you, I, I handle things on the pecuniary side of things, uh, all things to do with money. So uh, we this week, yeah, it's I mean, talk about a perfect opportunity to talk about a whole lot of crazy things going oh on. My we God, got a I run know. in crypto. We've got a run in crypto. We got a run in the banks. We got a run in the market. All these things shouldn't be happening at the yeah. same time. <laughs> Something's going to break. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, maybe so. I got, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say I got started uh, very similar. I, I I grew up here in the North Dallas area uh, in Plano. Went to uh, elementary school all the way up through college. I ended up going to University of Dallas, private Catholic school here. In my last semester of college, I actually was involved in a, a traffic accident. I was actually hit by a car. Okay, and um, I got a little bit of money. A little bit of scratch, oh, nice. which was, <laughs> uh, yeah, it wasn't a lot, but it was, you know, to me, it was a Cadillac. So mm. I tried to figure out what to do with it. And, yeah. you know, just imagine, and I could imagine probably a lot hasn't changed now, but just imagine like a, you know, 20 something, 20 year old walking into XYZ brokerage firm and saying, um, I want to talk to somebody about investing some money. What do you think yeah. happened? That will sell you an annuity, probably. Or <laughs> yeah, they want to, right? Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I ended up uh, meeting uh, a, just a really kind guy at, at the bank that I banked at at the time, and he gave me a lot of advice, gave me plenty of time. I came in quite a few times just to chat with him, and and he said, "What are you going to do when you graduate from college?" Granted, I was getting my degree in history, right? Nice. Like, I don't know. Classic Wall Street. He scared crap. me. <laughs> Yeah, he totally yeah. steered me. He actually was from Massachusetts. He worked for um, a firm that ended up getting taken over by Merrill now. But he he walked me through the whole process. He said, I worked at a company out of Massachusetts, and we were on the phone 24-7. 
you dream about it. It's horrible. And then finally you get a job at a branch and that's exactly what yeah. happened. I ended up working for fidelity for several years. They transferred me up to the wall street investor center up in New okay. York where I worked for a couple of years left there to go to work in private equity, venture capital in the right in 1999, 2000 that, uh, worked yeah. great. Yeah. 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 Uh, ended up back institutional. I ended up working back, uh, for Merrill Lynch. And then in 2003 spun out and started my own RIA when RIAs were brand new. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, started my own firm back then and have, uh, run it ever since. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's a great story. So, I guess along the way, just to jump right into the crypto thing, where did you first hear about it? What was your attraction to it? Everyone's kind of got their own founding story. So I'd be curious to hear, hear what yours is. I have one of these great, horrible stories. So, you know, everyone hears about the guy that, you know, lost all sorts of Bitcoin. But uh, oh, yeah. in my case, yeah, I'm 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 lucky in that I don't know how much it is. So oh, years and years ago, yeah, years and years ago, I had a uh, friend whose son told me about crypto and I had just relocated my office from New York to New Jersey and I had a number of machines that were doing nothing and so my friend's son said you need to start mining oh no way know, bitcoin and I had no idea what it was so yeah. of course I had my server mining crypto you yeah. know for a while and a couple of months go by, and I hadn't been to the office because I was working from home. Sure. I show back up at the office, and and honestly, it was probably a year that it would it had been just running. And this is, you know, think 2012, right? So oh, wow. This yeah. is so that, yeah. So that's great yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah. Except that I show back up at the office and all the computers are gone. And I was like, oh, what happened to the computers? No. He goes, Oh, well, I told the IT guy that he could just go ahead and reformat them and use them. So brutal. That was <laughs> that that's, was my intro. <laughs> that's really, really unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I do have a great friend who lives in Miami now. Uh, bought a place, cash. I wonder how he did that. Anyway, so I had a yeah. buddy who was uh, telling me about it many years ago. Uh, and he was going from Starbucks to Starbucks and picking up Bitcoin for like eight bucks from somebody that would like just different people on, on Craigslist, meeting yeah. up with them and paying them cash for their thumb drives filled with crypto. Oh, no so, way. Yeah, he uh, he did well. That's a good friend great. and co-investor in some some different private deals with me. But uh, he, yeah, he he, he do. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that's not nearly as like my my story is much more simple. Like I had a friend in the Bay Area working venture who heard about it through the grapevine, and that was mm -hmm. basically my exposure to it. So it was quite simple. I didn't lose a treasure chest. To my IT, <laughs> um, that's a bummer, but that's a good story, though. Um, yeah, look, look, everyone, everyone's heard stories. I heard about a guy. Well, look, here I am. I did, I did some silly stuff too. I'm sure it's just gone, gone forever, right? Yeah, no, no, get it back, gone. Yeah, that's uh, that's the <laughs> hardcore libertarian aspect of it that a lot of people know and love. So that's right. That's um, right. That's right. Well, how does how does uh, the crypto thing? influence what you do day to day so you still have your ria how do you talk to clients like are they interested do they care you know what what is crypto's influence on your practice today i should have known that it was the top when my clients in the same day three of them said that they wanted it yeah and uh as you well know that because it's not you know regulated because there's no 
you know, all of my licenses don't allow me to really talk about it. Yeah. Uh, all I could do was GBTC and ETHE, right? Like just a couple oh, of the okay. ones that I really felt that I was able to do. And so I did, I, you know, I threw some money into those and obviously they haven't panned out over time. Well, we'll see over time because I'm not a trader. Sure. We do have some positions yeah. in it and we'll see what happens, but it's really kind of quite a, quite a shame. I actually did a, um, I did a radio show once where a lady called me up and she said, I have a question. I was like, sure. And she said, my son is, you know, he's a high school senior and he, he tells me that he's a millionaire and he doesn't have to go to school and he doesn't, you know, he's not going to go to college. You know, what should I do? And I, I, this is one of those moments where you, yeah. like, you're going to laugh, or you're going to cry. And I just laughed. I was like, okay, we're, we need, you know, you should call me <laughs> after the show's over, but ultimately, yes, it could be true. Yeah. And if you have any chance of figuring out how to get a hold of the keys to his wallet, he's not 18. So technically it's your money if you can get your hands on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good luck though. Good luck. Yeah, but good luck. So it's really frustrating. And I know that you had uh Rick on uh yeah. earlier and 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 just like him, you know, I, I feel like he might have retired and this is just his second calling, you know, teaching okay. teaching advisors about this because you know. I tried to apply uh, to the CFP board not too long ago. They were looking for new board members and they were asking for someone that actually knew something about crypto. And I know enough to be dangerous. And then some, I was lucky enough to invest in a private company that, uh, uh, you know, a private company that, that actually is a crypto broker dealer. Uh, And and so uh, having done that, I have seen the institutional side. I yeah. actually last week, whenever I was on my way back from West Texas, we we went by the the actual mining site where they're using natural gas to uh, mine Bitcoin in the oil, you know, the in yeah. the, in the uh, immersion technology, which is really interesting because there's you know a handful of people that are actually doing that at scale, and they are, which is really fascinating. Yeah. So I actually understand so much more than I'm able to talk about. Which is really yeah. frustrating because you're supposed to go to your professionals when you have something that you need help with, right? Yeah. So are you saying you're specifically limited by uh, like a Series 7, I guess, with the broker-dealer? Or Yeah, the broker. So I was, uh, so I cleared through a firm, by the way, yeah, anything that I say here is, you know, obviously it's uh, educational advice. purposes only. Yeah, I've got, a, advice. I've got a disclosure <laughs> too that I put at the beginning. <laughs> Good. Yeah. So I, I actually, we were going through an audit. We were going through a, I believe an SEC audit. And uh, I got a phone call from one of the uh, partners at the firm. And they said that, yeah, we may have some problems with your, with your exposure to these ETFs. And I was like, well, they're not, first of all. But yeah, ETH yeah. and, and BTC, GBTC. And I said, well, um, okay, but uh, it's discretionary and I'm not selling it at a loss because the regulators think that I'm not capable yeah. of making investment decisions. So no. Yeah. Uh-oh, I think I paused out or maybe you did for a sec. Let's see. Where'd the audio go? Uh-oh. We lost your audio. Yep. Yep. We we, we just came back. We can uh touch all right, all right. Yeah, we can touch that up in uh post. But uh yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh let's see. So I lost you when you were talking about the regulator basically saying, Hey, 
what are you doing with right. holdings? Yeah, right. So yeah, so we were going through that audit. We we're going through a, a standard audit, and uh, I guess my accounts kind of popped up because they were looking to see who had exposure to crypto. And yeah. I'm discretionary. I'm a you know a, yeah. a institutional, and so they. They reached out to me and asked me what I thought. And I said, well, uh, I'm not selling it just because you think I should take a loss in it. So uh, yeah. anyway, so I, I, I applied for the board membership to the CFP board to see if I could try to push through some regulation and or like give some guidance and uh, was sent a Dear John letter. Thanks. We're not interested. Yeah. Have a great day. So yeah. <laughs> what a... Yeah. <laughs> I mean that that's a good pivot maybe to obviously the timeliness of all of these bank failures and um mm. you know, but I, I guess I guess maybe my question is what do you think the hesitation is around you know enabling crypto to be a more advised on asset? Is it basically security versus commodity and SEC versus um, commodities futures, blah, 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 or like where, where does your head go? Like what, what do you think needs to happen? I can see it on both sides. You know, ultimately the, the, the job of the regulators is to come in after somebody does something really bad. Right. And, and we had that moment, we had that moment with FTX. Yeah. And, and, and when the regulators, come in they usually obviously overregulate the whole idea behind defi is that we don't want it to be regulated to to any yeah. particular degree but like if we have people that are going to do harm to the end user through fraud something needs to be done how that ha- how that's handled i don't know so it's a cart horse thing and i think that you know you've got uh You've got the regulators, you've got the SEC, you've got the the Treasury Department, you've got so many different people that want to regulate it differently, and that's the pickle, is that they don't know who should be regulating different things. Like, is it a commodity? Like, which of these is commodities? Which of these is securities? Which of these is uh, private placements, right? And and each one of those systems have their own rules and and some of these problems are the same thing we're seeing in the banking system right now right we've got the US wow. treasury we've got the treasury department we've got the uh the federal reserve both of them handle two different things that intermingle right but this is where we're having the problems with the the you know the bank failures right you've got the fed who theoretically says look we can fix inflation anything that breaks we have the tools to fix Okay, something broke. Are they going to keep with their mandate, which is what unemployment and interest rates? We'll find right? out tomorrow. To get rid of inflation. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out literally tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, the problem there is that the treasury. I kind of feel like they're failing too. So, like basically, both of those people that have their one job, if they were going to do it right, if we do and checking our premise, if we actually look at what those numbers really mean, is housing really only up X? Is 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 CPI really those numbers if we check our premise? If those are true, then we have substantial inflation and they need to keep raising interest rates, right? But yeah. again, we need to know if those numbers are true. And then you've got Treasury, which is spending money right and left outside the United States, which takes money, you know, and screws yeah. up everything that the Fed is trying to do. Now, just imagine that with a brand new asset class, crypto. You really think they're going to be able to yeah. get their finger on the pulse? So I am encouraged to have seen that um, at the very least, if we uh, take all the 
different coins out of it that like Bitcoin is starting to hold up and and you're seeing a store of value to some degree with what's going on with the bank runs, which definitely want to talk about too at some point. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope I roundabout answered most of that. Well, I mean, it's just such an interesting time because like, I think the crypto industry itself has been asking for clear regulation like give us give us a playbook that we can play by and just know that we can go innovate within that set of rules like they just don't want it to kill business and innovation also but i guess where i'm going with this is regulation for the sake of regulation might not even necessarily be a great thing because we you know air quotes regulated post gfc and it I read some reports that at least the San Francisco Fed knew that uh, Silicon Valley Bank was acting out at least for a year, year and a half or so, and that they were getting notifications about it, but nothing ultimately happened, you know? So like the regulation was there, but there was no actual, I guess, enforcement of it to, you know, prevent arguably uh, a very strange new paradigm. So, you know, I guess- I forwarded you an interesting article from the Bates group. Actually, a friend of mine in the city wrote this article. He's an expert witness and um, has been working in fixed income for years. Uh, I sent you a link that you should take a look at. It really goes into detail about kind of what happened. My take on it is they, you know, they, they had poor risk control. I don't know if anyone's ever. is saying is that we had an inverted yield curve we knew that this could happen yeah uh, i think the biggest problem the single biggest problem is that as working people we expect that when you put your money in the bank it's going to be tomorrow um and they're not paying us any interest already so you hope that at least your money is going to be there right you're right. not investing it in a brokerage account and i've heard these assumptions that like well you should have put it in the right bank really you're going to tell somebody who owns a bakery or someone who owns a flower shop or someone who owns uh even gosh even me right like do i have access to look into their mark-to-market portfolio every day they're held to maturities No. no no it's unreasonable to think that yeah so realistically speaking Technology is so good now that before, you know, maybe people had one bank account, one banking relationship. Now people have more than one. And so when there's a run on one bank, all you have to do is hit this little button. And it's now it's not not over at First Republic Bank. Now it's over at Chase. It's yeah. JP Morgan or it's at City. And the speed that that can do, that, that that can be done is no bank is going to be able to survive that kind of run on a bank. So, you know, just as FDR said, the only thing we have to fear is fear is this has been happening. This is not new. We have had the same problems and or limitations with our banking system for how many years now? Yeah. It just so happens that you've got communication from people that pointed out not a lie right it's not a lie that look silicon valley could fail and if my my uh, investments or you know portfolio companies have money at xyz bank that may fail and i'm their board member and i'm going to tell them that 
there could be a run. You need to get your money safe. There's no way to avoid that pickle and that dilemma because as a fiduciary, they had to say that. Yeah. Right. It's it's really interesting because I'm sure you heard about like that text message stream of, you know, all the Bay Area super VCs investors. And it's like a coordinated Twitter attack on a bank. But, you know, technology, like this is the world we live in. Technology moves fast. You would Mm -hmm. think that they would have had systems and processes in place to kind of not take so much duration risk, at least for one, but. Right. um, Well, that goes back to, from Silicon Valley Bank, that goes back to, did they have proper oversight and proper risk control? And my understanding is they did not. Now, if you take a look at some of the other financial institutions that are at risk right now, I think, you know, there's a lot of people that are, you know, throwing things and throwing things around about First Republic Bank. Uh, it's my understanding that they are a traditional bank and they're like responsible to yeah. whatever degree. And I think situationally, they are just physically too close to the situation. And so they could have been the next one to fall. I have a story about uh, about uh, the interest rates and um, what happened in the GFC. Vividly, this happened. I remember this vividly. I was actually at the office and I get a phone call from my assistant's wife who was the head of a desk at a big firm. And she mentioned that do not go after any of our, cause you know, we're wolves, right? We were going to go yeah. after anybody yeah. for anything. Right. So it's like, yeah. Hey, I can get a new, I can get a new contact over at XYZ uh, investment bank uh, by saying this guy's going out of business. They literally yeah. said, do not even hint because we're the next bank to fail. Yeah. So it was like standing up and it can happen at any time. Yeah. You want to try to avoid that, especially when communication throughout the internet is it's a little more efficient than um than it used to be. Right? Yeah. I mean, I guess that you've been at this a little bit longer than me. So maybe you've what what would you say is like some of the big changes you've noticed from living through a variety of, you know, ups and downs over your career? What what has changed, I guess, in how people approach markets, invest, the psychology? like Right. So when I first started and um, cut my teeth, I, I want to take that back. Not when I first started. When I was on the phone side, I had an excellent experience in education, but still didn't really know what was going on because I didn't have money of my own. I'd never. Yeah. Experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. Yeah. And I didn't have any experience at the time. Yeah. I have plenty now. I have plenty yeah, of experience yeah. now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, pre, I want to say pre, pre 2000, uh, we had interest rates moving all over the place. They cut by a quarter of a point or yeah. they raised by a quarter of a point or half a point for heaven forbid, three quarters of a point. And that yeah. was when the money supply was substantially lower than it is now. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now we've got. Yeah. 31, what is it, 31 trillion? I don't even know what the numbers are up to date, but like raising a quarter of a point or a half a point is a substantially different number than it was even in 2000, 1999. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think people understand what that means. Uh, we have a mutual friend that that I asked him, right, when this all started to happen, I was like, you're trading institutionally. What are you, what are you, what are you thinking? Yeah. The answer was, I graduated around 2008. It's been quantitative using you know qe's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> since i got out of college 
I truly believe that people just don't know what this means. I, I feel like it's just been such a gambler's mentality that people just expect a 20%, 30% return over time and buy the dip. Yeah. That's all anyone's ever seen since anybody has been investing in the past 20 years. And I think yeah. the chickens are going to come home to roost. I'm trying not to be negative because I know how bad it could be, but I, I'm worried. I'm worried. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what is, I'm, I, I'm effectively barbelled in the, in the, the, the client portfolio for the most part, I, you know, I've got some securities that I can't sell. And then I've got a big chunk of cash and treasuries. And then I've got uh, a short position on, on one of the indexes yeah. and, and effectively that's making us kind of flat which I'm cool with. I don't mind sitting out. I'm not here to gamble. You know, most of my clients are in the stay rich camp, not the get rich yeah, camp. Yeah, yeah. So we're, <laughs> we're trying to yeah. weather it until we get some real direction. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess that's the, the hard thing about where we sit currently. It's like, where do you go? You know, like what asset classes, what investments can you take to weather this storm as best you can? Um, policies definitely made it difficult because, you know, Low rates, high equities, high bonds, high real estate, high everything. Um, I don't know. What, what do you yeah, think? It, How do you advise clients there? By virtue of the fact that people are asking the question whether or not the treasuries are safe and the, the banks are safe uh, is already showing that we have a, a lack of trust in our government. And, uh, you know, when was the last time you saw on CNBC anyone specifically talking too much about the debt ceiling? Right now, oh, we've never. got a whole different. Yeah. yeah, we've got a whole different problem to work on. Now we'll deal with that later. It's all part of the same problem, though, right? Yeah. I mean, the fact that the federal government is people are worried, and then you've got let's talk geopolitics, right? We've got we've got China and 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 Russia meeting and saying, "Hey, we're buddies." I mean, yeah. I, look, I. It's not what I do for a living, but I am a macro yeah. guy and I can see that things aren't good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's, things wrong. <laughs> it's really strange. Like trying to like this. So when I was, I lived through the banking crisis, the first one, I guess, rather in 2008, I'd just gone off to college. So I was, I was admittedly focused on other things, right. Rather than sure. the economy. Yeah. But, but I lived through it and I've studied it to a certain degree. And now that we're on potentially the precipice of another one, I kind of catch myself looking around and it's like, how worried should I really be? You know, like what, what precautions do we need to take? Like, can, can it, we talk about that for a minute? Yeah. And, yeah. And like just to unpack that just a little bit more. The thing that I find really fascinating is so last week I, I went on a little drive with my wife to Marfa, Texas. Uh, she's in education. So it was her spring break and we had this plan for quite a while. And why is it that every time that I have a vacation plan that the, the world decides yeah, to yeah. try to go to zero, right? Yeah. And so I've got my earbud in my ear, you know, I'm for that Thursday through the Monday that we were leaving, yeah. I'm glued to Bloomberg. I'm on the phone with the president of a, a bank in New Jersey, where one of my clients has a substantial amount of money on deposit. Obviously we were trying to yeah. protect that. And like, there's no reason that I need to be on the phone with the president of any bank. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. but the fact that I was means that we're worried. Right. And the fact yeah. that he actually took the call and called me from his personal cell phone means yeah. that he's worried because he knows yeah. that all of a sudden everybody who hates us retail guys 
is worried about a retail guy. Now you know that the world's upside down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So ultimately, uh, it's just it's just crazy. We're just in a in a weird place. And one, what I wanted to say is that there's so many people that are uncomfortable with where we are and are asking where to go, where to put their money. That just goes to show you that no one knows. And 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 that's the biggest part of the fear because as we all know, while Wall Street hates uncertainty, it also thrives on uncertainty. So you've got people ripping each other apart. Like I uh, I, I just find it so fascinating. I, I did speak to somebody at First Republic Bank um, that works there that that is a, a dear friend of mine. And and I had mentioned to him that I've been thinking about him all week. You know, uh, if there's any issues, you, you, you know, I'm more than happy to help you land on your feet if something happens, so on and so forth. Everybody that I know likes that bank a lot, you know. And yeah. He said there were a couple of times where he was worried. There's a couple of times where he wasn't. And there's a couple of times where he has no idea. And I feel like that's how everyone feels. But the average person who has no idea where where we are and how precipitous this fall could be. Because nobody nobody, nobody knows, right? Yeah, I mean. So it, it's kind of frustrating that like the average American doesn't realize that this is a big deal. And the reason it's a big deal is that when was the last time you went to JP Morgan or Wells Fargo or Citibank uh, or or Bank of America as a small, small mom and pop shop and asked them to borrow money? If you're a billionaire, if you're a billionaire's son or daughter, then yeah, they'll talk to you. But like, yeah, yeah like we don't. I I remember having that epiphany. Um, this was years ago now, but I finally realized like most wealth management services as they were traditionally built are not for normal people. Right. Right. And if you really wanted to make an impact on people's lives, you don't need to worry about, you know, the 0.01% that are JP Morgan, UBS credit Suisse clients. You need to worry about, you know, that actual true 99% that can avoid credit card debt and, you know, put a little money away and live within their means and just do like the basics. Well, like and hope that that money is still in the bank whenever they go to get the money out yeah well i mean as long as it's fdic insured which i mean even for a lot of people like if you got 250 grand in cash at a bank just sitting there like you're doing okay you know Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. most people don't even have remotely close to that so like i one of my lessons i guess of the quantitative easing experiment is just how extreme the differences between the haves and the have-nots has become. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think when the history is written, they will look back and actually write that piece of history, but they don't want to admit it, particularly right now, because mm-hmm. we're still hovering right around all-time highs. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I just find it really troubling that when you try to, when you you think you're about to retire, you get to the point where, and I've, I've you know, I work with people that are really close and yeah. you could make 30% every year for the past 10 and then you lose 50% in one year, all that, you know, everything you, you see it go away a lot quicker. Everything changes. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it shouldn't have to be that way. Uh, but people don't like to talk to professionals anymore. You know, people, your generation and younger are doing it all on their own. And to some degree, that's great because that you know the educational materials out there, but that experience and the the feeling of losing that money 
is uh, the first time you lose a substantial amount of money in the market, boy, you you you, you yeah. start to pay attention to it, right? Yeah, and that's not something you're going to get off an app. <laughs> well, part of the problem too, like you're kind of alluding to with all this information being online is like there's I'm, I'm sure you've seen on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter, there's no shortage of people trying to, you know, sell you my trade strategy, follow my trades, which really is just market manipulation, you know, <laughs> like, um, but that, you know, that stuff's everywhere. And yeah. And, and like, there's just not enough, there's, there's not enough firepower out there. There's not enough regulators. There's not enough, uh, anybody to be able to, to, to go after that. I was blown away when AMC and all the meme stocks started taking off. I was like, this is a blatant, you know, this is a blatant, uh, violation of, of, uh, the investment advisors act. I mean, you can't tell people when to buy and when to sell. You're not a financial advisor. You're not licensed to do that. Like, Chipper, you know. chippy, but like they're not going to go after them. And so yeah. that bred this gambling mentality today. The market ran up over 1% and change. Why? Is there anything different today than yeah. yesterday, really? No. no. Right? No. The, uh, the thing that's different, the thing that's different is that these tiny little regional banks and these smaller banks, these these um relationship banks that uh that are paying the same, if not a lower amount for CDs and such, uh, they're the ones that actually will take a chance on on a person and so if you have an idea and eventually you outgrow them and move to a bigger bank that's one thing but like they're they're necessary so they need to be protected the yeah. only way to do that is to have an adult in the room we need the government to actually do their job and 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 help these guys out right yeah. i think they're working on it but they also have to remember they want to lose jobs right now they want to put people out of a job and they want to shrink people's budgets. They want people worried. They don't want people buying stuff. And so what did they do? They did exactly what they needed to do. And yeah. ultimately they do have the tools to fix it. So I'm hoping tomorrow, I'm hoping, hoping that they do continue to raise rates. And I'm also hoping that they ensure deposits. And if the other companies go out of business and then they get consolidated or something, that's one thing. But ultimately I do want them to, to deal with inflation because it's not a good thing because the people that are the have-nots that you're talking about are yeah. the ones that are mostly affected by not being able to buy food. Yeah. Yeah. It's it there there's like so much to unpack there. <laughs> I was trying to think, it was like, how am I going to respond to this? And and then there's just like point after point after point. Um sure. What was I gonna say though? I mean, I I, oh, so that was it. So, like you, you'd said you wanted, you'd hoped that they would um, insure deposits. Um, I've read a lot of reporting that that can create a moral hazard, particularly for lar the largest, most sophisticated banks to, you know, privatize gains, socialize losses all over again. Um, I guess the question is, is like, you know what is I, worse like not I, I not doing it or allowing them to do it and then you know do small regional banks go away over the course of crisis after crisis like what like is the problem really just the fed putting us in this situation in the first place like what I, I, there's no real answer to that and i assume that's what washington is struggling with day in and day out so Right. I think the, um, there, yeah, there, there is some portion of moral hazard, uh, in that you definitely do not want these guys to know that they're going to be bailed out. And so they want to go out and buy more, 
know, holds maturity stuff or, or having more, you know, loans to people that they just wanted to do handshake deals with for sure. Right. There's definitely moral hazard, but there's also something to be said for people. Like if you do not want there to only be one bank at the end of the day, someone like a JP Morgan chase or so, if you don't want there to be just one bank, then they have to do something to make sure that people's deposits are safe. And I don't know how they do that either. Just like you don't, um, it's been going on for years, right? We've we've had a traditional banking system that works and it's very strong and resilient as long as there's not a run on different banks. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know how they solve that. But the only thing I can think of to stem the problem that we have right now is for somehow them to come out and just to, let's say, your deposits are safe. We're going to go through, you know, I'm sure they have plenty of technology to, to run through these balance sheets. From what I understand, there was like maybe some junior level people in the banks that aren't the big banks that had the flags that weren't listened to. And then as they get to a certain size, maybe they start looking at it more yeah, uh, and pay attention to it a little more. And if that's the case, yeah, we all know that the, the big firms get the, 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 the more regulator eyes and vice versa. I don't know what they have to do, but there's plenty of smart people out there. Yeah. Yeah. They got to do something. Oh, I mean, here's an interesting one. What if they didn't do anything? What do you think would happen if they just threw up their hands and said, you're on your own? I mean, pure market system, I guess it would work itself out eventually, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting on a bunch of cash. So I'd be cool with it. Yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> but then again, I'd also have a lot of people that are friends of mine living at my house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> yeah. You'd have to get a bunch of bunk beds on Amazon. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think it probably would shake itself out, but we'd probably end up at the same place, but uh, a little uglier. It, it would then be, you know, the bigger banks gobbling up littler banks at, like they're doing right now. You, you saw those Cocos loans, right? The the AT1 like loans that are just getting written down. That one, oh, yeah, I think if anything is going to be ugly, that that has like the Europeans didn't break that precedent. Like the fact that you didn't wipe out the total equity, like the stockholders equity before you you yeah, blew up there, no. their tier one, you know, that's that, that right there, I think is a, that, a critical question. I do not know what they're, how do you justify that on the cap table? Uh, yeah, yeah. They, and they did it unilaterally, like with special privileges, blah, 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 that, you know, original investors didn't sign up for. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Who knows? Uh, well, I have a family friend who's big in real estate here and, commercial real estate in greater Sacramento, Northern California. And he thinks the bomb that's about to go off is um, commercial real estate. And mm -hmm. I've started to see some rumblings about that in CMBS. And who like, I guess that's the whole point. Like, who knows where the black swan comes from? But there's a lot of weird things going on for sure. Yeah, like commercial real estate space is... Um is scary. But then again, there's also, and I don't know how long it takes for it to happen, but you know, as the pendulum swings the other way and we will have higher unemployment, maybe people will be more interested in going back to work. Yeah. Quite frankly, uh, and, and then eventually people will need more space and they'll start renting it. But right now, yeah, we have a huge uh, supply of space that people aren't using, which is not good for the people that are yeah. uh, owning those yeah. uh those, those things and then yeah, financing yeah. them right yeah it, it's so funny I, it, back this is right before the great financial crisis i had a uh friend that worked at uh 
a brokerage firm and they were trying to get me to sell my clients a bunch of CDOs. And I'm like, I have no idea what this thing is. So I asked one of my clients who was a uh, risk officer, what is this thing? And, and you know, what should I put my clients in? And he was like, and he started going and my eyes started rolling back in my head and I started getting like, you know, no. And he was like, okay, long story, short story is like, none of your clients should ever touch any of this stuff. And then fast forward a couple of months of the market creators, right? Yeah. It's like trying to understand what the CMO, CLO, CDO is. It's like, I think the best thing is like watching that movie, The Big Short. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's exactly where I was going when uh, he goes down to Florida and he sees all those bros uh, flipping the homes and he gets on the phone. It's like short everything, all of it. Biggest positions we can. Absolutely. Yeah. That was nuts. That was nuts. I, oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't think I would have the balls for a call like that. Like, it, I wonder, like, there's a couple of things in there that were, um, you know, I know that uh, one of the guys was going through some, you know, family issues about somebody committing suicide. I, I recall, I don't know who that person was that it was supposed to be, but like, I kind of wonder if he was already so broken that he's like, what do I care? If, you know, I lose a bunch yeah. of money. But I'm, you know, I'm so angry at the world that I'm just going to sit on this position until it proves out right, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. But I mean, you could argue that across the board. Shoot, our, I bet a lot of our government officials are feeling that way right now. <laughs> like, oh, for sure. For just sure. like, I have yeah. no idea what to do. We're just going to pick one and grit our teeth. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, who knows? Um, Maybe something more positive. What is encouraging from where you sit? Like, what do you what are you working on? That's cool. That's unique. That's you know keeps you going. Yeah. So the beauty of the situation of being in a somewhat neutral portfolio, waiting for a little bit of clarity, is that I have more time to uh, pay attention to the investments that I do have and uh, be able to do more research. And I find people such as yourself more uh available because yeah. everyone's trying to find out what's going on everyone's talking so i think it's a really fascinating time and that it is a relationship building time and it is trying to figure out what's going to happen right now as we know is too late so yeah. kind of looking ahead and seeing what is available like if we assume that certain companies are going to go out of business uh or the margins are going to compress now's a great opportunity to look at the companies that you always did like you know, these there's there's isms in, on Wall Street for a reason. If you liked it at 20, you're gonna love it at 10. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Do your research and take a look at companies and try to figure out what different um management, you know, literally the management of the companies is is solid and and back up the truck whenever you feel comfortable that there are companies out there that you've always wanted in your portfolio but couldn't afford at the time. Yeah. And yeah. Plenty of time to do that now. I got access to here's a fun one. I actually got a local uh, college in the area to accept back some credits from college. And I took some classes and it comes with the, they have a Bloomberg lab. So instead of spending a ridiculous amount of money every month on a regular Bloomberg terminal, now I get to go to school and meet people and talk to them and show them how somebody that's an actual professional in the real world uses Bloomberg. Yeah. It's exciting because there's people that are in there that had no idea and don't even realize what they've got. Yeah. Big box of gold. <laughs> yeah. So so are you teaching, I guess, a little bit or no, no, I'm just going as a student. I actually okay. um I'm taking a class uh at the college just as a you know, just for fun, just to learn something new. Yeah. What what is uh what is the class, if you don't mind sharing? 
agronomy. Which is, it's growing stuff, right? That's um, right. So one of, got, uh, one of our, yeah, one of my up. private equity investments, one of the uh, investments that I'm an, a limited partner in is a, a company that has come up with a novel technology that is in the agronomy space. And so I was, I said, well, there's a class in agronomy. I want to learn. I want yeah. to see how this works in the real world. You know, yeah. I threw money at something that I, of course, like Elizabeth Holmes, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, hopefully it's not quite the fraud that Elizabeth Holmes presided over, but um God, I hope not. God, I hope yeah. not. No, but you know, these are these are just fun little uh things to do that uh that allow you to broaden your knowledge base on all sorts of things. Yeah. How do you think about that? Just broadening your knowledge base and being well-rounded as it relates to just advising clients in your career, like um for like one quick example for me is this podcast is totally new had to pick up some new skills learn some basic editing you know but it has opened that small amount of time in mostly free software has opened up a ton of new relationships to people like you that i would have never had otherwise so Mm -hmm. um it has been one of the best things i've ever done like personally and professionally so i guess i don't know how does going back to school or any other things kind of plan to pave you the world? Yeah, I agree that there's a, there's a lot of different, uh, I, I like to think that if you're actually learning something, no matter what it is, it's going to come in handy throughout your life. Like, uh, I went to, I got, I was still in college and my mother had a operation that was going to require some durable medical equipment. And so as a 17 year old kid, I noticed that there was like, you know, it was an embarrassing type of procedure. Like people don't like to buy this particular product. They don't like to go to the grocery or, you know, to the the pharmacy and pick it up. So I, I created like a mail order company, a, a durable medical equipment company. And and at a young age, it taught me that you need to get a franchise tax return. You know, you, it gives you all the basics. Yeah. Setting up any company will give you all the basics for even what the major companies are going to do, right? So yeah. I, I think just learning anything will add to your 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 knowledge. And that was like that was a, a, a eye-opening experience to realize you have to have your corporation set up in this way, you have to keep track of notes, you have to realize that it's a company of itself. It's not you, it's actually its own company. And so you have to write yeah. down stuff as if you were making decision for the company. And and, and Fast forward that to what I do for a living now. I never knew that I was going to manage money and help people with financial planning, but now it's really easy. I can say, look, you don't you don't have to go to an attorney and pay a fortune to do this. You can go right online. You can set it up yourself, and you need to because you need to protect your personal assets from your business assets. And that's just one basic example of like one thing that I learned. And yeah. then fast forward to agronomy. It really is just learning. Uh, for me, you know, people just think it's it, it it's learning the process. If you're a farmer, you don't just need land and seeds. You need additive and filler, and uh, you know, it's relying upon time, which has yeah. to do with weather, and then moisture, and then what's the pH. It's fascinating, and all of these things have a solution, and usually they cost something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the way that it. It, it ties into what I do for a living is that I've got a couple of clients that are farmers and being able to understand, you know, you always hear about pork bellies and futures, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, as a farmer, those are the people that really need to do futures because if you know that your input costs, yeah. forget about labor, right? Yeah. But your input costs are $3 a bushel. 
and corn is somewhere in the $4 range, it could go up, it could go down. If it's below three, you're going to lose money and you did all that work for free. Yeah. So maybe you should have futures contracts so that you can deliver that and you know when you've locked in your prices, right? Yeah. And that, in a nutshell, how do you figure out what those input costs are? Take an agronomy class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go, go work on a farm. Um, that's right. Yeah. That's the uh, harder way to do it. These hands are a little soft. I'm not sure. Oh yeah, no. I I work inside and online for sure. I, I've tried to pick up some stuff and build some things around the house. I'm, I actually do need to build garden beds. Actually, as soon as it eventually stops raining. Um, but you yeah, know, those the extra skills have just been helpful. And I guess I've been a little bit surprised to, you know, if you actually go about it and invest. Really, it's a, it either costs you money or time. So if you want to do it cheap, you got to invest the time. But right. but if you do that, then you know you actually do end up learning something that, like you said, will probably translate and be valuable for the rest of your life. So yeah, truth, truth. Yeah, absolutely. No. Um. Well, let's see. I mean, how, how are we doing on time here? We're I think almost an hour in or I so. Think, uh, Started a little late, but yeah. If uh, I got ten more minutes, yeah, got yeah. something um, forty-five. So, well, Frank, let me put it over to you. What? Yeah. So let me ask you a couple of questions here. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more on the crypto side. So, from the the, you know, as I said, it's not my um, direct line. What do you think about what's going on right now in crypto? Do you think this is like part of that rolling crash that we're having? People are just taking money and putting it into the asset class that's running up. Do you think crypto has uh, real support or do you think that people are just piling in right now as a gold proxy or, or as a stability proxy? And then once everything here gets kind of worked out on the banking side that everyone's going to dump it and go back into the bank. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I shoot. There's, I mean, there's so much there. Like, what original? So, I, I'm personal. Well, let's put this out of the way. So, my two big positions are in Bitcoin and Ethereum. That's pretty much it. I, I have a little, I have a little Cardano, but that's basically is, you know, Ethereum 2.0 play. Um, right. I don't get I don't get into the shitcoin type stuff that's way out there. I don't do any NFTs or anything crazy. So what what I like about the two positions that I really own Bitcoin and Ethereum. Bitcoin is the libertarian. You own your money, self-banked, you control it. You know, one thing that I'm fairly confident of is that governments are not going to be able to pull back on the spending because they will have global riots, which is really unfortunate because you either pull back on the spending in some capacity or you destroy fiat currency is my general kind of take. Uh, which is terrifying because if I think about it that clearly, I would hope that someone at the Fed is kind of seeing this basic game theory too, right? But the nature of our politics, at least in the United States, kind of, you know, Biden just proposed, I think, $7 trillion for this year, right? Like, whether that's good or bad, like, who knows? But it's not good for the dollar and money supply. So um, we keep spending more money. So I think Bitcoin, I believe in it. I think it will be around. I think it I think it serves a place. I think this recent sort of bank run has been really interesting in the fact that Bitcoin has caught a bid. So I, I, you know, maybe I'm too close to people in my circle, but a lot of people do look at Bitcoin as a way to kind of 
have an escape hatch if needed, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think of Ethereum basically is like software for, you know, everything. And Mm -hmm. people use software. So there will be, you know, better softwares over time. But Ethereum's got a pretty strong market share right now. And uh, they're developing, like, there's a ton of developers on it. They keep pushing out new stuff. Like, I don't see why that should change. So that's kind of how I view it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a there's a uh, uh, article I wrote. I'm I'm going to send it to you separately. A, a chapter in a book that one of my clients wrote. Uh, he was it was actually a really fascinating article, and, and it talks about social. You know, how are the bankers? How are the financial institutions supposed to help with uh, climate change and things to that nature? And it's. It, talks about how they need to put on a hat in that they want to invest and, and loan money to companies that at least are thinking about that type of stuff. Um, in addition to that, though, he did have a point talking about what you had mentioned about the spending issues that we're having with, with uh, and, and how we've got this huge deficit and how we're supposed to get ourselves out of it. And <laughs> in a nutshell, he said, I've got the answer, but I'm not getting elected by either party. Because what we have to do is we have to cut entitlements substantially uh, to the point where, look, you know, kind of like they do it in Europe. If you're a certain age or older and there's this kind of a major problem with you, you just have to get your affairs in order and we'll make sure it's painless. Um, And then uh, so we're talking about cutting entitlements, including all of them, right? All of them. Yeah. Uh, And then you've got to raise taxes by a margin and then you have to put an asset based tax and then in 17 years half of the deficit will be gone yeah who's gonna vote for that who's gonna vote for that well no. yeah and, and and now we're i think hitting this like speed in like the money supply and debt creation and money that it you know it's going parabolic if you look at the charts like i would argue that it will break and this is just you know back of the envelope idiot math here, but I would argue that it would, that will break faster than, you know, cutting the deficit by taking our medicine. So I don't know. I I really don't know. Um, It's an impossible thing to think through. Right. Uh, And and you never hear it spoken about like on the campaign trail, nobody's talking about social security trust fund going bankrupt in 10 years. Like nobody talks Mm -hmm. about that. Um, <laughs> well, of course not. They, they're yeah. not part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, they're not yeah. subject to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they get raises every year. Uh, they get a pension. That's immediate. right. Um, yeah, it's, it's, there's so many different little things that are kind of funny about government, but right. I mean, like if you could vote yourself for raise, why wouldn't you? Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but I guess the, the flip side to that, and we kind of touched on this earlier is that the younger generation is paying a lot more attention to money overall. I would argue. And I think these tools offer us a lot of hope to, you know, just make the world ultimately a better place. But there's going to be, I think, a bit of a learning curve along the way. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'm optimistic about the younger generation, certain older people in politics going away forever. You know, I I think... Mm -hmm. I think we're right on the cusp of like a generational sort of uh, paradigm shift, but I think we're 
going to have some rough times, most likely before we get there. Yeah, I've, I've got a friend who, who always says something funny and it, it cracks me up and I sure hope he's wrong, but he always says, it's going to get worse before it gets worse. Yeah. Yeah, well... <laughs> Well, yeah, look, the, the good news is that we're as humans, we're very adaptive and we always survive. Now, how yeah. that's going to look and what's going to happen, we'll see. But I firmly believe that we can work our way out of it once we figure out what the actual problem is. And, you know, I suspect that as a, you know, tomorrow we'll, we'll see the beginning of, of one of the, the answers, right? We're going to see what yeah. they do. The fact that it's actually this relying upon, uh, one person making a comment or, or looking horrible. at his notes to figure it's out horrible. where we're going in the future is, is kind of a, a bigger issue. I think, you know, you oh, might yeah. agree that yeah. like, we should have more clarity than just one person making a comment. Yeah. It's supposed to guide us out of this financial turmoil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like Warren has been getting after Jay Powell for a while since we started this rate hiking cycle, but you could look directly back at Warren and the rest of Congress and the Senate and just be like, where have you guys been legislating anything productive for the last 20 years? You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's, right. it's kind of like the pot calling the kettle black, at least to me. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's a, it's just a big game of point the finger. Well, they, they spent more too. Why are you blaming us? They spent yeah. more. It's like, yeah. well, that wasn't, that's not too wrong. It's like, haven't we learned two wrongs don't make a right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know what the thing that I kind of distill, I think a lot of it down to is just kind of what I kind of think of as corporatism, basically big money, big government, big business, all operating together to sort of enrich themselves with access to each other in the system. And, you know, just kind of what I think we all see day to day. Yeah. And I think Yellen inadvertently let the cat out of the bag a couple of days ago. And she was like, well, I don't know if the small banks in Oklahoma will get a full deposit bailout. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, why not? You know, mm-hmm. and yeah. I think she, I think she started to walk that back uh, if my memory serves. But yeah, I think they did that today a little bit. Yeah. So but it's like, you know, like, how can you openly just say like, well, you're not big enough or important enough to, you know, have access to this program. It's like, okay, that's great. Like, thought we were in a democracy. Clearly we're not. So <laughs> I, yeah, I, you asked me the wrong question. Um, but this is kind of what I think through, you know, all the time. And I guess yeah. have your money in a variety of different places, keep some canned food around and some water. You know, if you're in Texas, hopefully you've got a gun around. Like, there's little you can do to, you know, at least protect your small unit if things truly go to hell in a hand. Yeah. I, and I think that, you know, again, if there's any hope, the one thing that I will say is that I'm very pleased and very um, happy to see that people in the younger generations are uh, holding more people accountable. And hopefully they will be able to look in the mirror and hope. I hope they hold themselves accountable and start to make some really tough decisions because they're, you know, they're not wrong. We've got this older generation in, in Washington that, that maybe shouldn't be, uh, uh, ruling <laughs> leading. And then we have a younger generation that just hasn't seen enough yet. But as time goes on, I really hope so because, you know, people in my generation, Gen X, the forgotten generation, 
We're tired. Yeah. <laughs> we're getting in the middle. Yeah. You gotta remember. Yeah, yeah you're the like, ones that literally it was our it was our parents' generation, the first ones that kind of came out. It was our generation that that has really put up with a lot of it and like agreed, right? Social reform started happening in my generation. It was our yeah, our generation that did start raising the children that are actually really involved, which is thrilling. But yeah. you know, please do something. Do something because yeah, we don't yeah. want to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough. I mean, that the, the whole podcasting medium is just great for all this stuff, though, because I feel like there's sure. there's just so much more velocity of people having conversations, and I pick up so much just from kind of listening to people here and there. Um, and I think it's all good. I mean, you know, I think people yeah. are very aware of our problems. Everyone, it's. Uh, it's like any good deal, you know, everyone should leave a little bit unhappy. Like if we can all kind of come to terms around that, I think we could probably actually do something, but we'll see. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And as long as people remember no deal, it's better than a, a bad deal. Then we're good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we're good at nothing but gridlock. Like we haven't done much in like 20, 30 years. So. Oh my goodness. Awesome. Uh, well, I think we're out of time, right? Yeah. I think this is good. Um, let me. Yeah. Uh, any last quick things, and then we can uh, cut the recording here. Yeah, I I do think that, um, and it's funny because I really do. Uh, there, there's a book that I read years ago called Cryptonomicon by Neil Stevenson. Did you ever read it? Um, you know um, I've got a couple of those that I need to get through. I will add that to the list. That book is and was probably the single most. Uh, eye-opening it just it was it was basically bitcoin before bitcoin came so yeah. you've gotta you've got to read that book it's awesome it's okay great. yeah 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 um the one book i could trade you maybe is a bitcoin standard i don't know if you've read that or not no i haven't yet yeah that's that's a good one it basically kind of talks about maybe replacing the federal reserve with a bitcoin standard um mm -hmm. interesting interesting take but uh yeah. yeah frank it's been great um we can leave it here uh where, where can people find you if they want to find you you're yeah so they can find they can google money in the bank with frank you can find me on the youtube channel the merge and uh yeah on uh weekly and and every once in a while we'll do something like this so it was uh it was good talking to you it was great being on the the show with you and hopefully we can do this again because i've got I've got some things that I'd love to ask you that I don't oh, yeah. really have a time for. Yeah, yeah, no, we can uh, we can do it anytime. Um, but cool, yeah. Thanks for the time today, Frank. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. All right, bud. Yeah. Take care.